today we are wrapping up our series, Resurrection Stories. We've been looking at different stories after Jesus' resurrection, stories where Jesus shows up and, and what we could learn from them. Next week, we're going to start a new series uh, called This Is The Way, not, not connected <laughs> with Star Wars, but uh, uh, This Is The Way. So we're going to explore that uh, some more next week. But I want, I want us to touch on one, uh, one other resurrection story. And as I was thinking about spring coming up and, and flowers blooming and things, I, th I thought about a story about a mother who really wanted to plant a garden this spring. And so she grabbed her three kids and they, they went to the greenhouse to look for flowers. And the kids were just kids, you know, they were wild, they were crazy, they were running around. She was chasing them everywhere, they were arguing over who could push the cart. They were picking up flowers and knocking them over. They broke a giant clay pot. I mean, it was a trip of all trips, you know, and mom gets home and she sits on the couch and she looks at her husband and she goes, ah, I just want some peace and quiet and some flowers. And her husband says, honey, you will get that one day. It'll be your funeral, but you'll get it one day, right? Just hold on, just hold on. You know, and, and there comes a time in our lives where we're all that exhausted, right? Where we're just, ah, I just, uh, some peace and quiet and some flowers sound great, right? And breaks are great. Vacations are great. We need to take those. We need to be paying attention to those in our lives. Right? You've heard the phrase, I'll rest when I'm dead. No, please, please rest before then. Right? We need you longer than that. Please take your breaks. Please rest. And, and in our scripture today, we, we find the disciples seem to be doing something like that, that they're going on vacation. They're taking a break, and they, they go fishing. Uh, but Jesus tracks them down and shows up on the shore. And it's a long text, it's in the Gospel of John, and, and what happens before this, I just want to recap, is Jesus is resurrected on Sunday morning, he appears to Mary Magdalene Sunday night, he shows up to the disciples, and Thomas isn't there. So the next Sunday night, he shows up, and Thomas is there. So the disciples have seen Jesus twice, and then I guess they decide to go on vacation, and Jesus shows up. And what I want you to pay attention to as you read these verses, uh, there's a lot going on, but just notice, what does Jesus want from Peter? What does he want from Peter? So this comes from the very ending of the Gospel of John, the, the 21st chapter. And this is what it says. Later, Jesus himself appeared again to his disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. This is how it happened. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, which is the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, Zebedee's sons, and two other disciples were together. Simon Peter told them, I'm going fishing. They said, we'll go with you. They set out in a boat, but throughout the night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize it was Jesus. Jesus called to them, children, have you caught anything to eat? They answered him, no. He said, cast your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they did, and there were many fish. There were so many fish that they couldn't haul in the net. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he wrapped his coat around himself, for he was naked, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they weren't far from shore, only about 100 yards. When they landed, they saw there was a fire with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. Then Simon Peter got up and pulled the net to shore. It was full of large fish, 153 of them. Yet the net hadn't torn even with so many fish. Jesus said to them, come and have some breakfast. None of the disciples could bring themselves to, to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they finished eating, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? 
Simon replied, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. Jesus asked the second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Simon replied, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said to him, take care of my sheep. He asked the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was sad that Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He replied, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. I assure you that when you were younger, you tied your own belt and walked around wherever you wanted. When you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and another will tie your belt and lead you where you don't want to go. He said this to show the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. After saying this, Jesus said to Peter, follow me. May God add a blessing to the hearing, the reading, and the living out of this scripture. Now, did you notice what, what Jesus wanted from Peter? Right, he, he wanted him to, to feed his sheep and care for his sheep and, and follow him. Which is interesting because Peter's on vacation. You know? It's like being on vacation, all of a sudden your boss shows up and says, hey, I got some work for you to do. <laughs> Which... Why would Jesus show up when Peter's on vacation? Maybe he, actually, maybe he's not on vacation. In fact, what's happened is that the disciples have gone from Jerusalem to Galilee. You probably missed that because the word Tiberius is, is used. They're on the Sea of Tiberius, which is just another name for the Sea of Galilee, which is a big lake up north. And so when Jesus first appears to the disciple, they're, they're in Jerusalem. Now, we've got a map. Let's put the map on the screen. So, Jerusalem is at the bottom in the south, way up north. See how far up north? That's the Sea of Galilee. And if you Google Maps it, it's going to say Tiberias because there's a little town there called Tiberias. And so, this is, the disciples have gone from Jerusalem to Galilee. And Galilee is their home. Galilee is where they're from. They're all from around that area. So, maybe it's not, maybe it's not vacation. Maybe they've gone home. And not only have they gone home, Peter says, I'm going to go fishing which for some of us is, is a vacation, a great trip to go on. But for Peter, yeah, that was his family business. When Jesus first shows up to call Peter to follow him, Peter is fishing because that's his job. And so maybe it's not that Peter has, has gone on vacation. Maybe it's that Peter has stopped following Jesus for some reason. And Jesus has shown up on the beach to call Peter back, to remind Peter of who he is. In fact, Jesus builds a little fire, which is important because the last time Peter was asked these questions that shaped his life, he was standing around a fire. When Jesus was arrested, Peter followed him after the Last Supper, and he ended up in a courtyard around a fire, and there were people there who were asking him, do you know this guy, Jesus? And Peter says, no, I don't know him. Three times they asked him that. But that's how Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell the story. You see, we're reading the Gospel of John, and the Gospel of John tells this story differently. And, and I want to encourage you, when you're reading uh, any part of the Bible, don't just sub in other parts of the Bible. Right? Don't sub in what Matthew or Mark or Luke say. Sometimes that can be helpful, but pay attention. What does John say when you're reading the Gospel of John? Because it's one story, and that author is, is doing something with that. So what does John say? So when the people ask Peter, they don't ask Peter and John. They don't ask him, do you know Jesus? They say, are you a disciple? 
And Peter says, no, I am not. There's a difference between saying, do you know this man and are you a disciple of this man? Right? Those are two different questions and John is highlighting that. He's saying, hey, hey, something's going on here. When Peter says, no, I'm not. Because a disciple follows their rabbi, their master, wherever they go and Peter stopped in the courtyard. Right? Peter went no further. And now Peter is caught fishing, having stopped following Jesus. And so Jesus isn't going to let him off the hook that easily. No pun intended, you know. But Jesus shows up on the beach, makes a fire, and asks him, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, you know I love you. Then, then feed my sheep. Do you love me? Then, then care for my sheep. Do you love me? Then follow me. If you love me, then, then do these things. Don't don't step away. Keep going, keep going, keep going. The reason Peter stepped away is because he was, he was influenced by all these other people at that last fire. All these other people who said, hey, do you follow Jesus? And he was scared of what would happen, worried about what they would say or what they would do or how, how they would treat him. And if we're honest, all of us are a little worried about that, worried about what other people think and, and how they may treat us and how they may act and how they may respond when it comes to all kinds of things in their lives. And so Jesus shows up on the beach not to berate Peter or condemn him or to forgive him because Peter doesn't, Jesus doesn't need Peter's forgiveness. Peter didn't do any harm to Jesus. Peter did harm to himself. Peter didn't betray Jesus. He betrayed who he was. He is a follower of Jesus and he has denied who he is. And so Jesus is calling him back to that, calling him to accept himself as he is, who he is, and to continue being who he is. And we struggle with that. And maybe, maybe that's one of the great difficulties of our lives, to accept who we are in, in all kinds of ways. One of them is, is physically. We struggle to accept our bodies sometimes. The other, the other day, uh, a couple months ago, I came across a story of a, a young boy who has a uh, birthmark that covers his body here. And his dad noticed in the summertime that when they were at the pool, he was too embarrassed to take his shirt off because of the birthmark. So the dad went and got a tattoo of that same birthmark. We have a picture of it. Tattoo of his son's birthmark on his own body, right, to make him feel better about, to remind him, hey, who you are is perfect. Who you are is, is who you are. You don't need to be embarrassed about it. And he was willing to take that on and say, look, I'll show you this is okay, you are, you are good, and you are okay, and you should love yourself as you are, which is the same thing Jesus is doing when he shows up to Peter. Right? Now, you need to love yourself as you are. You need to care about yourself. And the thing is, you could be the greatest of all time, and, and there's still gonna be people who don't like you or people who, don't, uh, who wanna encourage you to be something else or, or do something different or be someone other than who you are. Jim Thorpe experienced this. So Jim Thorpe was the first Native American to win the Olympics. He won two gold medals in 1912. And he was called the greatest athlete of all time by many Olympic historians. And the deal with Jim Thorpe is that uh, the first day he competed, he competed in what was called a pentathlon, which uh, isn't part of the Olympics anymore. It's five events that happened in the same day. 
and compete in all of them. He took first place in four of those events. One of them was a 1,500-meter run uh, where he, he beat everybody by five seconds, which in running is, is like a year. He just crushed them. And then the next, the next week, they did a decathlon. And there, so there are 10 events. And uh, on the second day of the event, someone stole his shoes. So he had no shoes to compete anymore. And he went and he asked one of his teammates for a shoe. Uh, he only had one. <laughs> he only just has one shoe, I don't know. But So he got one shoe from a teammate. And it was a little too small for him. And he found another shoe in a garbage can. And it was too big. And so what he did is he put on extra socks to fit into the big shoe. And this is a picture of him at the Olympics. And that's him wearing two different shoes with extra socks. And he got these shoes just in time for the high jump, which he won in these mismatched shoes. And he went on to win that entire event. So he, he takes home two gold medals. Uh, the Olympics in 1912 took place in Sweden. And the king of Sweden awarded him with his medals and said, you are the greatest athlete in the world. And when he gets home, uh, what happens is the, let me make sure I get the, the International Olympic Committee, uh, they strip him of his medals. Not right away, it, it takes a while, but they strip him of his medals uh, because of a technical issue. So he had played uh, minor league baseball and gotten paid for a couple summers, which went against the rules of the Olympics. Uh, you weren't allowed to be a professional athlete, and he had gotten paid, which put him in that category. But there were a lot of athletes that got paid for what they did, uh, and they didn't get their medal stripped. And a lot of them also lied about their names. And, and Jim didn't know when he was doing that, that there were rules or how that worked, and he wasn't even planning on going to the Olympics at the time. And so... Uh, they got him on this technicality, but the interesting thing is, uh, in order to strip him of his medals, they broke their own rules. So the rules stated that you had to do that within 30 days of the Olympics. They waited long after that to strip him of his medals. So, so they stripped him of his medals because he broke the rules, and they did it by breaking the rules themselves. And this caused all kinds of issues at the time because people loved Jim and thought he was just an amazing athlete. And his own daughter was furious. She just was so upset over this. And he said, look, I don't need the medals or the records. I know, I know what I've done. I know what I've accomplished. Right? This, this was a man who said, it doesn't really matter what anyone else thinks. I'm going to continue living and being who I am, even if this is unfair. And what he went on to do, he went on to play Major League Baseball. He went on to be one of the co-founders of the NFL. He went on to play uh, professional basketball. And then in the 80s, after he had died, the uh, Olympics presented his family with two gold medals. But they never reinstated his records back into the, uh, to say he won. And so uh, this piece for Jim was, now I'm going to keep going. I'm not going to let other people influence how I'm called to live or how I am living. Uh, I'm just going to keep going. I'm going to keep going, which is the call all of us have, right? And that's the call that Jesus invites Peter to keep going. Don't, don't worry about what these other people are doing or trying to convince you to do, right? You just, you do what I've called you to do. Follow me. Love people. Care for people. Do this work. But for Peter, more than anything, 
I think what, what got him was the fear of what would happen to him. Right? The fear of the pain. The, the fear of the hurt. The fear of being exactly like Jesus. And so I think that's what, what convinced him to not continue going until Jesus calls him back and invites him to keep going. Because sometimes following Jesus, sometimes loving people and caring for people, it, it causes hurt in our own lives. It costs us something to do that. And, and it's much easier to avoid it than it is to go through it. Last week we heard about Derek Chauvin and the police officer who murdered George Floyd in Minneapolis last summer. And the jury uh, convicted him of murder. And th there's been all kinds of feelings and people sharing and people talking about what's happened. Uh, but I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say uh, that the only reason he was convicted, the only reason this happened, is because of a video that was taken by a 17-year-old girl named Darnella Frazier. So Darnella, uh, 17 years old, is walking to that convenience store where George Floyd was outside with her nine-year-old cousin. And she saw the police arresting George Floyd. And something seemed off, something seemed wrong, so she got her phone out and she started recording it. And she couldn't believe it. It hurt her so much to watch it. And that video, she uploaded it after. And it just took off. It went viral. It went around the world. And people were protesting. You remember, people were protesting not just in the United States, but around the world because of what they've seen, because of what's happened. And people started waking up and acknowledging, oh, wait, 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 there's something going on that maybe we haven't been noticing, that we haven't been paying attention to that our black and brown brothers and sisters are, are hurting in ways that maybe we've been ignoring and not hearing. And this video shifted the whole conversation. And it's invited people to be more creative and more imaginative about how we do life together. And the trial was one of the first times you, you saw police officers get up and, and testify against one another to say, hey, some, something was going on here and it wasn't good and it wasn't right. And I'm going to speak to that and share that. And what we've been in tension with ever since, and, and long before, but it's been brought to our attention again, is that there are amazing police officers who are compassionate and caring and willing to risk their lives to serve and protect people and care for the communities that they're in. And we're so grateful for those police officers. And there are police officers who have done a lot of harm to people and do a lot of harm to people. And we're hearing that over and over and over again from the people who the harm is being done to. And so as mature people of faith, we recognize that these two things don't have to be opposites. Right? It isn't that... The police are bad, and everyone else is good. And isn't that all these people are bad, and the police are good? It's that, hey, there's something going on here. 
there's some issues and, and there's some stuff that isn't working and we need to fix it so that everyone can thrive. Yes, our black and brown brothers and sisters and our police officers because we want everyone to succeed and everyone to do the best they can and everyone to rise together. And so we have to be creative. And we have to reimagine what that looks like and what it's gonna be like moving forward. And, and we still got a lot of work. The conversation is really just beginning. The conversation is really just beginning, but we're gonna keep going. We're gonna keep having this conversation because it's important. It's about loving people well and caring for people well, the call Jesus puts on our lives. And that came about this year, what might be the most historic and important video of our lifetime, of our generation, from the 17-year-old girl. And I want to tell you, it cost her a lot to do that. To sit there and watch a man be murdered right in front of her. And as she moved closer, I don't know if you actually watched the video, as she moved closer, the officers pulled out pepper spray like they were going to attack her. She was pulled into the trial. She was a witness who testified at the trial, 17 years old. And what she said at the trial, among other things, one of the things really caught me. Where she said there are many nights she couldn't sleep and she'd stay awake at night praying and apologizing to George Floyd because she did not save his life. And first, I want to say it was not her job to save his life. That was the police officers who did not do their job. But that is something she will carry around with her for the rest of her life and work through and wrestle with because she chose to stay there and to keep recording and to keep doing this work because she knew this was important. And was willing the hurt, it was, it was worth the hurt and the pain and the struggle that she was going to feel and that she has felt and that she will continue to feel as she works through this for the rest of her life. And I just want to say that sometimes that's where Jesus calls us. Sometimes that's where love sends us. Sometimes that's the work. The work is always loving. The work is always caring. And sometimes that hurts. Sometimes that costs us something. And Jesus reminds Peter of this. He says, follow me. Right now, you're, you're doing what you want to do. One day, someone's going to lead you to a place you don't want to go, to a place that's going to hurt. And I'm telling you, just keep following me. Keep doing what you have been called to do. Keep loving keep caring, keep doing this work because this, this is the work. And things only get better. Things only improve. Things only get reimagined. People only get loved if we are willing to do that. And so Jesus calls Peter back, back to this important work and says, don't get tired of it. And that's what I want to tell you. Don't get tired of this work. Don't get tired of the conversations you keep hearing. Don't, don't roll your eyes. Don't say, why are we still talking about this? We're still talking about it because it's not fixed. It's not solved. It's not better yet. And so we have to continue this work. It is how we love. It is how we care. It doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean it's fun. 
but it is so very important. And so may you keep going. May you keep doing the work God has called you to do, who, be who God has called you to be. Do this work of loving people well. I'm gonna invite you to take your hands and put them palms up in your lap. And let's say a prayer together. God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for the ways you love us, for the ways you remind us of who we are, for the ways you believe in us and encourage us and, and challenge us. Help us to keep going. Help us to keep doing the important work of loving people well, of caring for people, even, even though it costs us something, even though it hurts sometimes. Remind us that this is the work. This is the work. And as part of the healing for the world, as part of uh, making things more into how you want them to be. And so may we be who you've called us to be, who you've created us to be. Through Christ we pray.